Open your Bibles tonight to John chapter 14, if you would, please. John chapter 14. I was thinking it's been interesting. Um, we, <laughs> I have some dear friends here, and they like to cut up. I'm, I got the right one on, right? We're good? Good. Um, we heard a message on Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour from John chapter 11. And then last night, we were in John chapter, or no, Sunday morning, we were in John chapter 8. And now, uh, tonight, we're going to start in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And I just want to say, look at that. Get that thing out of here. These tall people, they got a picture of me standing behind that pulpit, and you can see about this much of me, you know. Uh Shannon and I, your pastor, brother, Pastor Monday, Dr. Doctor Monday, that's right, <coughs> excuse me, by the way, we graduated together, he's talking about how they had different colored hair, I had hair, I graduated in 1996 with a head full of flowing hair, wasn't quite like that, but anyway, I did have hair. I used to pray, dear God, let me keep my hair until I find a woman. <laughs> that is a legit prayer. That's right. God gave me a wonderful wife, Rebecca. I'm telling you, she just, I thank God for her, and uh, she's a blessing. But we have a lot in common, our height, that great stature, you know. Um, we graduated in 96 together. Uh, been in ministry uh, pretty much steadily, you know, that whole time. And uh, But your pastor's been a real blessing to me. And one of the things we have in common is that we both preach a lot of funerals. And we've kind of talked back and forth about that. Both of us are over 100 funerals. I think I'm hitting about 130 since I've been in Memphis. Most of those have been church members. And uh, it's just amazing when you think about that. But uh, it's challenging when you preach that many funerals. But I know it's a blessing whenever you get to open the Word of God and comfort God's people. And funerals are, it depends. Sometimes they're uh, not so difficult when a person has, you know, they're saved and you know they've been living for God. Uh, those funerals are a blessing to preach. And then there's the challenging ones when you don't know. Uh, when a person maybe had a profession of faith, you can always praise God and have that hope. But then sometimes uh, the person just wasn't saved. And I know we've had some community funerals like that, and those are challenging. But it is interesting you think about those things. But I, I, there's a lot we have in common, uh, at least from that standpoint. Uh, and uh, the other thing I want to mention is our friends that are here. We've all been friends for a long time. It's been a blessing to get to know Dan Again, uh, the last time I saw Dan, I mean, he was about as, as skinny as this thing right here. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's just, he, he had to tell me, he said, I'm Dan Chiralo. And I said, what? You know, and, uh, but anyway, it's been a blessing. And, of course, uh, Tom and Dwight and Brother Alton and uh, Brother Mike. And Mike and Dinah, I followed them. Mike and Dinah, uh, well, Mike came out of the same church I got saved in. October 11th, 1989, Greenville, Tennessee. It was Eastside Baptist Church. Now I'm the pastor of Eastside Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. 
And so I followed them to, uh, to college there and just drove them crazy my first semester there. I was knocking on their door every 20 minutes. I, ble- I believe they felt like I was anyway. But they were a blessing, and uh, every one of these guys have been a special blessing to me. Your pastor's been a real help to me. And let me just say, you got a great church here. Uh, you really do. I mean, and God's doing something special here. Uh, I've met several of you, some of you that have shared your testimony with me, and that's been a blessing. But hosting an event like this and being as gracious as you have been to us is just tremendous. And, um, uh, and, and Paul, I've known Paul for a long time, too. I got him for you there. How's that, brother? Um, but seriously, you folks are a huge blessing. And uh, thank God for a good crowd tonight. Thank you for coming. Glad you're here. And I want to say thank you for just being so gracious and kind. Appreciate you having me out. I enjoy it. And uh, I love meeting new people and preaching in new places. But I miss my pulpit at home. And I, and by the way, it's, it's not above my head, you know. It's an average-sized pulpit. And uh, I miss my people, and we miss our kids. We have seven children, four boys and three girls. And now we have grandchildren. Woo, glory. <laughs> you know what they say about grandchildren. That's God's reward for not killing your own children. Amen. And so, uh, anyway, we do have uh, some blessings there, and I thank God for them. Well, you're in John chapter 14. And I want to say a word about the message before we get started. Talking about those funerals, uh, that's a subject that we will be able to relate to in the message tonight as I share with you. I want you to just think about something here this evening. And one thing I want you to think about is this. Heaven is a real place. Did you know that? I'm thankful that heaven is a real place. Uh, I've asked the Lord recently, one of my prayer requests recently has been, Lord, Help me live in the reality of your word more than the reality of this world. Because the reality of the word is different than the reality of the world. You know, there's a lot of problems in this world, and the best way for a Bible or for a Christian to deal with them is to live in the reality of the word. You see, there's so many promises in God's word that will go against what the world has to say. They'll go against what the world tells you and the philosophies of this world and all the things of the world. But I want to tell you, you are much better off, you listen to me, you're much better off to live in the reality of the Word of God. Because this book is what's real. You see, I can go down to the library and pull any book I want to off the shelf. You can hand me any book that you want to give me. And I want to tell you, they're not real, but this book is real. The Book of Mormon is not real. The book of, uh, uh, of whatever, I don't know what the Hindus have, but their book's not real. Uh, there's so many other books. I could start naming them off. The things that Confucius said are not real, but everything Jesus Christ said is real. Amen? And he talked about heaven. He said it was where his father was. He said it was where he was going. And he said it's where he hopes all of us are going too. Heaven is real. But i got to tell you something else. There's another place that's real. And that's a place called hell. Hell is real. And every person, listen now, every person that dies without Jesus Christ, are you listening? They immediately wake up in hell. And according to what Luke 16 tells us, they're immediately in torment. They're in the flames. 
and they are going to be crying out, they're going to be praying, they're going to be screaming, they're going to be thirsty, they're going to be remembering. All those things are reality in this place called hell. So heaven is real, and, and hell is real, and every person that does not know Jesus Christ is going to that awful place called hell. Now, tonight, my focus is not going to be on hell. Amen, brother. I'm thankful for that, too. <laughs> Tonight, my focus is going to be on heaven. And you know what? There's some people that have gone to heaven, and uh, I wish I'd have had more time with them, and I know some of you feel the same way. But can I tell you, once they get to that glorious place, you'd never want to bring them back here. Not to this sin-cursed world that we live in. In fact, I don't believe they'd want to come back, you know? And that's just an honest reality. I want to read you a couple of examples of people that died. One man that died and went to hell. Another couple of examples of men that died but were headed for heaven. These are deathbed records of these men. History tells us the story of the renowned atheist Voltaire, one of the most aggressive antagonists of Christianity. He wrote many things to undermine the church and once, uh, once said of Jesus Christ, listen now, I'm quoting, curse the wretch. Man, I can't believe anybody would say that, can you? Curse the wretch. In 20 years, Christianity will be no more. My single hand, he said, will destroy the edifice it took 12 apostles to rear. Needless to say, Voltaire was less than successful, and on his deathbed, a nurse who attended him was reported to have said, Listen, for all the wealth in Europe, I would not see another atheist die. She didn't want to be in the same room with an atheist dying ever again. The physician waiting up, up with Voltaire at his death said that he cried out with utter desperation. I'm quoting again. I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth. If you will give me six months of life, then I shall go to hell and you will go with me. Oh, Christ, he said. Oh, Jesus Christ. But it was too late for Voltaire. On the other hand, you have a man like D.L. Moody, the famous American evangelist that shook two continents for God. And D.L. Moody had this to say as he lay dying. I see earth receding, and heaven is opening. God is calling me. That's what D.L. Moody said. Then there is Andrew Jackson, the seventh U.S. president, who said, My dear children, do not grieve for me. I am in my God's, or rather, I am my God's. I belong to him. I go but a short time before you, and I hope and trust to meet you all in heaven. Now, these are famous people, I guess, uh, names that maybe you hear through history and so forth. But there's a lot of people that are just common, everyday Christian people. And I've talked to family members who've been in that room with them. In fact, I've seen some things that have been pretty interesting when you attend the death of a Christian as they're departing this world. And a church member recently told me about her mother, I believe it was, if I'm remembering correctly, that said, Mom. And then she was gone. It's an awesome thing. Now listen, folks, this place we're talking about is real. Do you know why I know it's real? 
I don't know it's real because of a, a young boy that went there and came back and then they made a story about him and a movie and all of that. And you know what? That's great and, and it's encouraging and it's positive thinking and so forth. But you know why I know heaven is real? Because Jesus said so. Here in John chapter 14, and I want you to see this with me. Let's read the words of Jesus, and uh, I want to share a few things with you in a moment. But look at what the Bible says. John 14, I'm sure you've used this text many times, and it's a comfort to us all. He says, this is Jesus, of course. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Now, what is John preparing his disciples for? He's preparing them for his departure. He's letting them know that pretty soon he's going to be leaving. He knows that they're going to see him go through a tragic, violent death. And he's trying to get them ready for that situation. And so he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. Uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. I love it here. In my Father's house are many mansions. You know, there's some translations that say rooms. And I tell you, I like the word mansions. And I think that's what it ought to be. Amen. I tell you, and by the way, even if you like rooms, a room in heaven will be like a mansion on earth. But this earth has nothing to compare with what's in heaven, trust me. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare, prepare a place for you. Now, let me stop and say a word about that statement. Uh, I remember Dr. Childs used to get in this text in class. Some of y'all probably saw it. He says, you guys probably think Jesus is up there with a hammer and nails and, and working and building a mansion. He said, that's not what Jesus did to prepare a place. Look, if God in heaven, and by the way, John 14, or John chapter 1 tells us it was Jesus that created the world. And if, if Jesus could speak the world into existence, you reckon he needed a hammer and nails to build you a mansion? Absolutely not. He just spoke and that mansion was there. It's been prepared from the foundation of the world. Listen, there's a mansion there that has your name on the front door if you're a child of God. He says here, he goes to prepare a place, but he's not talking about building a mansion. He's talking about going to a cross. The only way that you and I could go to heaven was for Jesus to go to the cross on our behalf. And that's what he did. I go to prepare a place for you, uh, he says, and, it, and I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. We'll stop right there for time's sake. I want you to understand, this place called heaven is real. Somebody said the three greatest words in the English language, uh, the three greatest words were mother, home, and heaven. I think that's probably pretty accurate, you know. This word heaven is mentioned in our Bibles 551 times. That makes it an important subject, amen? You know, I don't preach enough on heaven. People don't hear enough about heaven. We're in this grind in this world, and we need to know how to live in this world. But sometimes if we know there's a better place coming, I tell my people all the time there in, North, in Rocky, <laughs> wherever I'm pastoring now, Memphis, Tennessee, uh, I tell my people in Memphis all the time, there's always something better coming for the Christian. Always something better coming for the child of God. No matter how good it is here or how bad it is here, there's always something better coming for the child of God. And for the child of the devil, the person that's not saved, that refuses to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, there's always something worse coming for them. 
no matter how good it is here for them, there's always something worse coming for them. And listen, this place called heaven is so wonderful that the Apostle Paul, who we believe saw it before he had to go there permanently, God let him see it, he said of this place called heaven, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which, ha- which God hath prepared for them that love him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 9. One of the greatest comforts that you can have concerning your loved one that's gone is to know that they're in this place called heaven. Can I tell you, every person here listening to me, one of the greatest blessings you can give to your children or your grandchildren, I want to encourage all of you to do this, write down your testimony of salvation. Write it out clear. Write about how you got saved, how you came to know Jesus Christ, and then hand it to your pastor and say, when I'm gone, you read this so my family will know exactly where I am. One of the greatest things you can do for your family is to let them know where you're headed. Let them know that you're in heaven and that's the place that you're going. Now, I want to give you some things real quick about this place called heaven. Uh, And my introduction, I think, is the longest part of my message tonight. How's that, okay? So you listen with me, and I'll go as fast as I can, but I don't want to go too fast for you. The first thing I want to give you is this. Heaven is a place of realization. Heaven is a place of realization. Uh, uh, The Bible tells us here that heaven is a place where our faith becomes sight. In, the, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7, it says that here we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, I haven't seen the streets of gold, but I know they're there because the Bible says so. I haven't seen the gates of pearl, and I, but I know they're there because the Bible says so. You know, I've never put my finger into the hole in Jesus' hand, and I've never put my hand into the side of Jesus' side where that hole is where they put that spear. But I know it's there, and I know Jesus is there in heaven because the Bible says so. Here we walk by faith, but there we will walk by sight. In heaven we will see him face to face. Could you imagine, really honestly, could you imagine waking up in heaven tomorrow morning and realizing the glory of it and how true this is? So, number one, heaven is a place of realization. Secondly, I want you to notice this, and I love this point, and that is this fact, heaven is a place of reunion. Heaven is a place of reunion. Now you think about that. We're having a reunion here this week. It's been a blessing to get to be around these guys that have been, uh, you know, we've known each other since college. And some of you have family reunions, you know. If you were the cute little kid at the family reunion, you didn't like it so much because everybody had to pinch your cheek, you know. And uh, if you had uncles like I had, they'd get you in a headlock and scrub your head. That's why I'm bald today, by the way. And so, you know, those, those family reunions were not always a blessing as a child, but when you got to see the cousins and play with the cousins and then the spread on the table, you know, a family reunion is a wonderful thing. Can you imagine the reunion in heaven? Heaven is a place of reunion. People that we love, that have gone on before us, they're there already, and we'll get to see them. I, I have uh, pastored this church now for 12 years, but for 38 years before I got there, Brother Teddy still pastored that church, and I know that Brother Teddy's in heaven, and every time I buried a church member, I'd say, you know what, Brother Teddy's up there in the receiving line, waiting on them, and he, he kind of escorts them on in. 
And so one day we're all going to be together. Think about the Christians in other parts of the world. And when we see them, it'll be like we've known them our whole lives. Because we're family in Jesus Christ. We're family. Heaven is a place of reunion. It's a place of reunion, and it's also a place of union because we will join with Jesus. He said, where I am there, ye may be also. First, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, talks about the rapture of the church. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, we learn some things there. And by the way, there is nothing that has to take place before the rapture occurs. You see, it could happen tonight, amen? And so in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, we as a group, who are the we, the believers, we which are alive and remain, shall be caught up, listen, together with them. I love being with God's people. And one day we'll be with God's people for eternity in this place called heaven. Heaven is a place of realization. Heaven is a place of reunion. I want you to notice number three, heaven is a place of renewal. I love this truth. We have a deaf minister at our church in Memphis. And I always think about them when I read these verses. And we have several elderly people. And, and you know, the older you get, the tougher you got to be to keep living. Amen. You're talking about living. If, you, if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. Uh, I thought about what John Wayne said. He said, life is hard. It's even harder if you're stupid, right? But anyway, uh, as you get older, there's some ailments that come along with that. You know, those itis boys like to visit you, arthritis and bursitis and all of those guys, man. And they, they just come in to stay. And you're living in a decaying, dying house. But one day it'll be renewed. Listen, the Bible says in Revelation 21 and verse number 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now, I know this is future. I know there's some things between when we first enter heaven and when Jesus wipes away our tears. I understand that, but it is heaven. But can you imagine, listen, just think about this. I always get excited about this point. Have you ever, or do you remember maybe your mother or your dad reaching down and wiping a tear off of your cheek? You wait till you feel the hand of God touch your cheek. Oh, my sakes. I just can't even imagine it. But he's going to do that. He said he's going to wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be. Listen. Now, you can say amen right here, okay? Let me hear you one time. That was a little weak, brother. One more. That's a little better. Now, listen. Listen. There shall be no more death. That's a good time to say amen right there. No more death. Listen. Can I ask you, does anybody ever feel sad in here? Neither sorrow, the Bible says. No more death, neither sorrow. You know, one of the things that causes a lot of sorrow in this world is death. No more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. Philippians 3.21, the Bible says that Christ will change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Isaiah described it this way, this, this renewal. He said that uh, in this place called heaven in Isaiah 35, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, the lame will leap, 
and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. That's awesome, isn't it? Think about this place called heaven. It's a place of renewal. There will be no more sickness, no more suffering, and no more pain. And I think that's a wonderful blessing. If you live with pain for an extended period of time, you know what it's like to suffer. We had a lady in our church who had a serious, serious back problem, and she used to just beg God to take her on home because the pain was so long and so intense. She suffered for years. God did finally take her home. They did all kind of surgery, put something inside of her back that released some kind of drug right into her spine but she still suffered with horrible pain you know what she's not in pain anymore she's in heaven heaven is a place of renewal number four heaven is a place of righteousness listen no more sin think about that no more sin we can't imagine what that's like because we live in a world that's filled with sin You can't go to the mall or go to the grocery store almost without seeing something vile. You can't turn on your TV without seeing something wicked. I mean, you think about it. If you could come to Memphis, Tennessee with me and just sit in the Walmart parking lot near our house for just about 20 minutes, you'd see and hear some of the worst things you could ever imagine. I mean, it's horrific. But in heaven, there's no more sin. No more sin. But listen, it's not only the sins of others that will be gone, but our sins will be gone too. Revelation 21 verse 7 says this, And there shall in no wise enter into it, that is heaven, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written down? All of the wickedness of this world will be washed away from our memories. It's impossible for us to imagine what it will truly be like to experience the absence of sin. But our sin nature will be gone. Our sinful desires will be gone. There will be no more internal struggle. There will be no sin there, not ours or anyone else's. The sinful culture that permeates our world and tortures the righteous soul will not even be a distant memory. It will be gone forever and forever. You'll never hear someone take God's name in vain again. We were in the airport. No, we were at uh, the Grand Canyon. And this guy, I'm telling you, I guess he thought he was impressing people. But he had the foulest mouth. Oh, I know my wife was nervous. He kept taking God's name in vain. And I mean, it was driving me crazy. You know, one day we'll never have to hear that again. I'm thankful for that. Heaven is a place of righteousness. There will be no more sin. I want you to notice number five, heaven is a place of rest. It's a place of rest. Have you ever gone to bed and you were so tired that you just thought you'd fall asleep as soon as you hit the bed, but when your head hit that pillow, something turned on inside. You started thinking about every problem, every challenge, everything that you've been dealing with or you started thinking about a bill that's got to get paid or you started thinking about the election or you started thinking about taxes or you started thinking I mean there's all kind of things and I mean your mind just starts going wide open all of a sudden and you can't even go to sleep you know rest is a wonderful thing that every person needs if you go too long without rest you'll be in serious trouble but in heaven it's a place of perfect rest now don't get the wrong idea We're not going to be floating around on clouds, laid back, strumming our hearts. 
That's not what heaven's like. That's a false notion. But I believe this idea of the word rest here in the Bible means that we'll have complete tranquility of heart and mind. Do you have any worries tonight? You know, it's a sin for us as believers to worry, but it's so hard not to, isn't it? Heaven is a place of rest. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. It's, uh, uh, we will rest from our labors and strife. We will rest from our fears and struggles. There's an old hymn that the hymn was written about 100 years ago, and the hymn is called Glory, Glory, and it says, We are going to lay our burdens down. We tell you as pastors, we tell you, come to the altar, leave your burden on the altar. And you do that, but somehow that thing gets up and crawls right back up on your shoulder, doesn't it? Well, in heaven, that burden will be gone. It won't be there anymore. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will. Future tense. Now, I believe he gives us immediate rest. In fact, the word, if I understand it right, literally means that it's a rest that can begin, but it's ongoing and we get to heaven, it's going to be a rest like you've never dreamed of. He says here, I will give you rest. Heaven is a place of rest. Uh, number six, and I'm moving quickly. We're almost done. I got one more after this one. Heaven is a place of reward. Heaven is a place of reward. We can hear a reward in heaven. Matthew 25, verse 21, we can hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. In fact, there's a, uh, we can also hold a reward in heaven. We won't hold it long, but we can hold a reward. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 8, Paul talked about how that henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You know, there's five crowns that the believer can earn or uh, gain living in this life. And you know, those crowns are real, and I don't think it's wrong for us to desire to win them, especially when you think about the purpose of them. We can hear a reward from Jesus, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We can hold a reward that he gives us because we've been faithful, but it's a place where we can hand over a reward to him because we loved him. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders, that's the church represented in heaven, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, listen to these words, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou, wast, thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure, pleasure they are and were created. That's what we're laboring for, to lay those rewards at his feet. Heaven is a place of reward. It's a place of rest. It's a place of righteousness. It's a place of renewal. It's a place of reunion. It's a place of realization. But I want you to understand one more thing about heaven. It's a place that requires a reservation. It's a place that requires a reservation. I had a good friend. His name was Robbie. I got saved at age 19. We grew up next door to each other, and Robbie was my hero. I mean, I thought he walked on water. And uh, right after I got saved, I wanted to try to win all my loved ones to Jesus. I went to them and talked to them. And I mean, I just I knew everybody would want the Jesus that I had met. Unfortunately, a lot of them didn't. <laughs> and so I talked to Robbie 
several times. And one day we were out in the driveway, and I was begging Robbie to trust Jesus as his Savior. He said, Finn, what in the world is going on? He said, are you getting a busload to go today? <laughs> I said, no, but you got, and I don't even know how I even thought of this, because I don't think that fast on my feet. I believe the Lord gave it to me. I said, no, but you got to get your ticket now. You need your ticket now. Heaven is a place that requires a reservation. How do you make that reservation? Well, there was uh, some men that were in prison for preaching the gospel. And uh, those men, uh, Paul and Silas, were there in that prison for preaching the, the gospel. And all of a sudden there was a great earthquake. And the prison doors were open and their chains were broken off. And uh, the prison keeper came running out there and he looked in and he thought they were all gone and he grabbed his sword and was about to plunge it into his chest because he knew he was going to lose his life anyway. And Paul said, stop, do thyself no harm. And that man got a light. I think that's interesting representation there. He got a light and went inside. And that light brought him to Paul who could tell him the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, sirs, he fell down before them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Folks, listen, that's how you make your reservation for heaven. Has there ever been a time in your life where you understood that you were a sinner on your way to hell and you repented of that sin and you called upon Jesus Christ by faith? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you made your reservation for heaven? All these things are true, and all these things are wonderful, and Christ is there, and he wants you to be there, and you may have some loved ones there, but you can't go there unless you've made that reservation. I hope that in the days ahead, as you think about heaven, you think about the challenges that we face on this earth, that you'll be encouraged by these truths that we've looked at tonight. But some of you have loved ones that are already there. Some of you have loved ones that will be there soon. And you know what? We don't know what some of us might be there real soon too. If we know the Lord Jesus. Well, heaven is a wonderful place. And we've looked at it tonight from God's word. I trust that if you had made your reservation, you'll do so tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this evening. Thank you for the privilege we have to preach it. Thank you, Lord, for the, the truth of it and the fact that we can count on it. And Lord, I pray tonight that if there's someone here tonight that they've never trusted Jesus as their Savior or they're just not sure about it, I pray that tonight they'd get it settled. Whether in this room or maybe even watching by webcast, we pray that you'd have your will and way in each heart and life. And we'll thank you for it. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to ask you this question. How many of you could say without a doubt, you'd say, I know for sure if I died today, heaven would be my home. Not hope so, not maybe so, not I'm a member of the church, not I've been baptized. But do you know for sure if you died today, you would go to heaven? If you know that, would you slip your hand up all over the room this evening? Several hands are raised all over the room. Thank you. You can put those down. And maybe tonight you couldn't raise that hand. And I appreciate your honesty. If you're here tonight and you say, I'm just not sure. I hope I am, but I'm not sure. Would you pray for me? I want to simply pray for you. I won't come to you. I won't embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. If you're here tonight and you say, I'm just not sure that if I died today, heaven would be my home. 
Would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand up right now all over the room this evening? Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure that if I died, heaven would be my home. I need to get my reservation settled. Anybody? Anybody? All right. Pastor Mandel, would you come? I thank you, Lord, for, thank you for heaven. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony of each one that's sitting here tonight and knowing that one day that we'll spend an eternity together. Lord, I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace that you've shown us. Father, thank you for the message tonight. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged by it. Guide us and use us tomorrow to share the glorious gospel with someone. Father, we could show them how important it is that they get their ticket and that they're ready to go. Lord, we love you. I pray you bless tonight, guide tonight, encourage us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We're going to be dismissed in just a moment. But if, you know what, you get out of here and you start thinking and you have some questions or before you leave here tonight and, you know, by, by your raise of your hands, you tell me we're all on our way to heaven. Praise the Lord for that. What a joy that is to know. And so let's rejoice in that. But something comes up and you need to talk to me. Look, that invitation never closes. We're always here. We'll do anything we can to help any of us and uh, just happy to be a help. Uh, in uh, any of your lives but god bless you we'll be back again tomorrow night seven o'clock five thirty you want to come for the meal uh homemade chicken pot pie and so sounds pretty good to me they've been cooking on that all day already so we are uh we they man i didn't even get to see leonard they brought him in beat him with a whip made him cut up all the potatoes and then hauled him out of here before I even got to say hi. So I'm glad he doesn't bruise easy. So, But uh, it'll be a great time again tomorrow. If you want to come to the fellowship, 9 to noon tomorrow, eat lunch with everybody, you are welcome to do so. And God bless. You are dismissed.